I need to know everything Who in the what and the where I need everything Trust me, I hear what you're saying But act like it's new what you're telling me I'm curious, George I hop in the Porsche with five and a horse I'm ready for war I'm coming for throws To turn to a ghost I need to know everything Now you be surprised at the info you get Is by letting them talk So I'm letting them talk Gotta keep quiet, maneuver in science Then let them in talk up their body Another one body, that's just how it go I got some secrets, I'm shaking the game so Hello and welcome to JK Plus One. I am not your host, PTF. I, he he says he's going to Keeneland this weekend, so it must be nice, buddy, going to Keeneland. I didn't get. To, I don't think I'm going to get to go to Keeneland this uh, this year, uh, this fall, which is sad for me. But uh, we'll be going to the Breeders' Cup, and uh, I would imagine our friends at Qatar Racing will also be at Breeders' Cup. Oh, I forgot to say that I am your host, Jonathan Kinchin. I usually do that. I'm not PTF. I make fun of them. Then I say who I am. And then I talk about our friends at Qatar Racing. It sounds like Caravelle is going to run this weekend, is what I've been told. So we'll see what happens with her. I'm excited to see her run uh, and defend her crown in the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint. I think it's going to be a lot of fun just considering the fact that she's going to run a little bit shorter, uh, a little bit firmer. Uh, I remember the way she was running uh, at Keeneland in the stretch. Just a little little bobble here and there uh, in that on that soft ground. I don't think she appreciated that. So I'm looking forward to seeing her and want to thank our friends at Qatar Racing. I'm really excited today uh, about my guest. He's, he's a lot of fun. Told a lot of good stories. You can understand by hearing him talk why he's had the success that he's had at Eclipse Thoroughbreds. Our friend Aaron Wellman with 1A. We started off very quickly uh, fixing that. It, it's one of the worst things in the world. I feel so bad when I have someone like saved in my phone and I have their name spelled wrong for all this time. And... Uh, it, it, it happened to me with my friend Reagan Swinbank. Uh, it's misspelled Reagan, which was tough. Uh, it happened to me with Aaron Wellman. Uh, Doug O'Neill, I found out last week, has two L's. What in the hell is that all about? Um, uh, look, I'm, I'm sure it's happened uh, more often than not. Uh, then there's people whose names I don't even try to spell, so I just put them in as their first name with their last initial because why take the chance of, of messing that up? So that's my long way of telling you that I had Aaron's name spelt wrong. Um, let's get into it. Talk about some of these Eclipse horses. Talked about uh, talk about the performances we saw from Locked Nest. I was reminded of Candied. Oops, my bad. And uh, and get with Aaron and and the run that they're having at Eclipse and and uh, the Breeders' Cup that they're looking forward to and, and some of Aaron's history as well. So uh, let me shut up and uh, my friend Aaron Wellman. I got to be honest. The first thing I did this morning, Aaron, was I changed the way I spell your name in my phone. It's only one A. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, that's been a lifelong challenge for me. You know, my parents, I'm not sure what got into their heads when they named me, but the one A has thrown people for a loop for a long time, but uh, we'll take it. I'd imagine that like that uh, that key and peel bit is probably one of your favorites, right? <laughs> uh, Aaron, yeah, hey, Aaron, a Aaron, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's funny because people 
then get confused when they're like AA and I'm like, no, just one A. And then they're like, well, then there must be two R's. And I'm like, no, there's actually just one R. And there's like, then there's got to be two N's at the end. And I'm like, nope, it's just a single letter name all the way through. So uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those topics of conversation that comes up pretty often. Yeah. Quit trying, uh, quit trying to double me up here. Um, <laughs> so look, we, there's a lot of ways we can start. We can work backwards or forwards, but I, let's, let's, we'll go backwards later. Um, let's start with, uh, with, with locked and nest this weekend, whichever one you want to run with first. Well, I'd much prefer start with locked because he was a much better result for our stable. You know, he's a cult that has just been, a star from day one and we bought him at Keeneland September last year as a yearling, got him down to Ocala, put him in the Ocala stud program headed up by David O'Farrell and his team. And from the word go, he had quickly asserted himself as superior to his peers. And he has stayed that way through and through. And it's one of those things where it kind of got a little chuckle throughout the winter and spring when we would get, periodic updates or our team was down in Ocala for the two-year-old sales. And I distinctly remember one time this spring when the whole Rapoli team was out at Ocala stud, Todd Pletcher came out. Our team was out there to, you know, watch all these two-year-olds train. And of course, you know, Rapoli, he's, he's all in and he's got probably 15 or 20 Colts there. And, and I think Eclipse had two or three, and as these different sets of Colts came around training and doing their thing and David kind of let them open gallop or two minute lick down the lane, it was very clear that Locked had separated himself from the pack. So the whole Rapoli team was like, where'd you get that Colt? And Todd kind of like gave me this look out of the corner of his eye with a partial wink. <laughs> like, I think we got something here. So it's been a fun journey with him. And he has just executed the game plan to perfection to this point from, you know, his sprint debut where we gave him a race and an education galloped out monstrous that day at Saratoga took care of business with a huge figure break in his maiden going a mile. And then obviously got the job done in impressive fashion in the great one breeders futurity the other day. So it was a little hairy. It wasn't quite the trip we had drawn up on paper pre-race, but to see him overcome some adversity, get into a dogfight down the lane and still prove superior was really good to see. And I think it'll serve him very well, hopefully going into the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. It's funny because so, I, was, I was watching the race with, with my wife and I was like, I said, uh, oh, there's, there's locked and it's, you know, he's, you know, he's supposed to win the race. And then he was getting the bad trip and on the turn, he made that move. And I said, oh wait, dang, he's going to win. And then about the eighth pole, I said, I, I, I bear with me here. I said, oh dang, he's going to lose, but that's okay. Cause I can't wait to bet him in the breeders cup. <laughs> if he loses, like, I, you know, like I'm thinking to myself, like it's it. And then my, my brain as a better starts thinking it's actually better for his price if he runs second here. So I'm fine if he gets beat in the situation. Cause he just ran a huge, huge effort. And who cares if, you know, if you get the, tr I'm sure if you could trade a grade one breeders fraternity for a grade one breeders cup juvenile, I know which one you'd pick. So, but then he, he still, he still found a way to win despite 
the trip. I, I mean, I, I thought it was, uh, it was a pretty impressive performance. I guess the, the one thing that is going to help the price is that the number didn't come back as big as I, as I hoped that it would based off of, you know, the performance, but you also got to, you got to think there's some points there to be added to the figure based on the fact that he lost all that ground and he had the trip that he had. Yeah. You touch on a lot of good points here. Um, I'll go back to the trip and, and you're exactly right. Jose Ortiz rode a masterful race that I don't think he'll get enough credit for how brilliant it was because he really had to make a crucial decision going into the far turn. He was chasing a slow pace. He was hung out wide. He probably wanted to save some ground at some point in the race and couldn't do so. He pushed the button. The horse exploded with him, made a five, six wide bid. And when they do that, they got to carry their momentum for the final three sixteenths of a mile. And when he didn't separate from the wine steward, I got really concerned for a few reasons because a, the wine steward's a really good horse, right? And B, I had seen a couple races prior, Ujiri and the TCA stakes come back on Wicked Halo, who looked like she had put Ujiri away. So I knew that the rail was live that day. And when you saw the wine steward offering resistance and Locke didn't separate himself and start to dominate inside the eighth pole, I was like, well, we got a battle on our hands. And a lot of times, especially with two-year-olds, you see them get bested, but Jose got after him once or twice right-handed. The horse surged, got the W, put his ears forward at the wire, indicative of a horse that probably had a little bit more left in the tank. So I was really pleased to see him, like I said, overcome some obstacles, get into a battle so that he's battle-tested going into the Breeders' Cup, and still indicate that if needed – he's got a few more gears to call upon. Now, from a gambling perspective, and you and I, you know, we have relatively frequent interaction about gambling matters, what have you, looking to wager and find some value. I was appreciative of the respect the betting public gave Locked in the Breeders' Futurity, but in no way did I view him as a three to five shot against that field on that day. Um, that was a really solid group of two-year-old Colts. He was drawn very wide. And I was thinking the same thing you were thinking. You were thinking from a gambling perspective, okay, if Locke gets beat here, I can't wait to bet him back at value in the Breeders' Cup. And I'm thinking of it as, okay, he might lose this battle, but we're in a great position to win the war ultimately. You know, so it was it was a win-win in all respects. Yeah, and it's like, and it's the other thing too that, that I always have to remind myself of, of the races at, at uh, well, there's actually, you can kind of look at it in two ways. You can look at it at, at what happens at Belmont and Aqueduct as well is, you know, the, the different configurations, right? We'll talk about Keeneland specifically, but like the fact that it's, you know, sometimes it's a one turn mile and, and then they're going to be running in a two turn, uh, you know, mile and a 16th in the Breeders' Cup, but also the short stretch at Keeneland. I think it's tricky for different horses. I mean, like, you know, it's, I think some horses, you have to ask it what appears to be the half mile pole, but it's not the half mile pole. You have to ask going into the turn because of the short stretch. And, and I just think that sometimes that can either help or hurt a horse. And so when, to me, when I'm looking to find a reason, which I'm looking to find a reason with locked on why he can run faster, you can look to blame, you know, a situation like that. Well, that could be a reason why, because 
and you know, I, I just think it's a tricky configuration sometimes for, especially for young horses. Hundred percent, hundred percent, and and that was a concern of ours going into the race, knowing that it was the first wire, the short stretch, and it makes Jose's ride even that much smarter. And he's a horse that is innately gifted. He's got incredible natural ability, but what really could potentially allow him to evolve into a superstar is that he's really wise beyond his years. He's very easy on himself in his training. He's only giving what he's asked of at any given moment. And for a two-year-old to do what he did on Saturday in the Breeders' Futurity, explode when Jose asked him, get tested, and still surge to victory, to me was very impressive and it was exactly what we needed. After his debut, when we ran him three quarters and he weaved through the field after having trouble taking a ton of dirt, I met Todd on the staircase at Saratoga going down to unsaddle him, and we were watching him gallop out, and I'm like, we ought to think about going to the hopeful with this horse. And he looked at me right there and then, and he said, there will be a mile made in at the end of the meet. We will go to the Breeders' Futurity and get him two turns, and we will go to the Breeders' Cup. And when Todd Pletcher has that type of conviction and that vision, you know he takes this seriously and thinks that this is a serious cult. And so far, we've been able to execute the debut education, the mile win, and now the Breeders' Futurity. And hopefully we could polish off the season with a championship bid in the Breeders' Cup. Well, now, so those are the, those are the warm, fuzzy feeling conversations, the excitement, the happy stuff, the good stuff. Let's talk about the frustrating ones. Um, I was on record. Dude, dude sure I got to I gotta interrupt you. I got to interrupt yeah. you real quick. What about Candied? What about Candied? Go ahead. I mean, she won the Darley Alcibiades on Friday for us, too. Nothing wrong with that at all. Nothing wrong with that at all. <laughs> I was, I was first, Saturday first, man. <laughs> first, first owner in the history of Keeneland to win the Darley Alcibiades and the Breeders Futurity back to back in the same really year. no one's ever done that before. I was told that on Sunday morning, so it wasn't like well, uh, I I'm dug sure. into the Keeneland annals of history. But yeah, man, I mean, I, I'm all down to talk about Ness, but we've we've got one more. No, let's let's we, let's we can we, we can stay warm. And, we can stay warm and fuzzy a little bit more. Yeah, no, I mean, it was a huge honor to to win the race with that filly as well, you know, and to have two grade one winners at Keeneland with two-year-olds back-to-back days and, and punch their ticket to the Breeders' Cup with all-expense-paid trip, you know, to the juvenile fillies and the juvenile is huge. And, and obviously, she increased her value exponentially with that W, and she's going to have Tamara waiting for her on her home court in the juvenile fillies, but this filly is really, really good. And for her to win a three-quarter maiden race in her debut at Saratoga and then go win a grade one, go on two turns in just her second start, I think speaks to that. So we're, we're pretty high on her and, uh, you know, happy to have the tag team between the Philly and the Colt for sure. So, ba- so basically you got up early this morning because we were recording early for you, California time, because you have a lot of ticket requests you have to work through for the Breeders' Cup, right? I sure hope so. Look, it's an eternity away. We're like three and a half weeks away, three plus weeks away from the Breeders' Cup. So I always hold my breath between those prep races and game day. But yeah, look, this is this is why our partners 
put their faith in Eclipse and join our partnerships is is to not just get them to the big days and see our name in the program and have a fancy meal in the director's room, but hopefully show up to the big dances on the big days at the biggest venues with live shots. And, and those two juveniles hopefully will head to Santa Anita with legitimate shots to hit the board and give our people some thrills, if not take down these things all together. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a huge responsibility to, to set up the accommodations and get this all organized, but this is what we live for. And, and as far as waking up early, I'm not sure that I even go to sleep at this point anymore. <laughs> so it's, it's a pleasure to be on here. We're operating on adrenaline and hopefully it'll carry us all the way through <laughs> to the breeders cup. Well, I definitely want to, I, you know, it's funny. I, I, we've, we've had a couple of people who run partnerships on before and, and there's a lot of partnerships out there. So, you know, after nest, I do want to talk a little bit about why, like, you know, you kind of your elevator pitch that like what you feel, you, you know, is different about eclipse from, and not disparaging other partnerships, but what you feel is different, like your goals, your thoughts, but nest. So I was on record of you know, of saying that I felt like based on what we saw from nest last year and what we've seen in the past, when you allow horses to kind of grow up and, and to not be whisked away after their three-year-old years and, and be able to kind of mature, I thought we hadn't seen the best of nest and that this year's version was going to be that. Then she comes back and her first start at Saratoga and she was outstanding. Like she had like turf turn of foot, while being forward and like, it was like this exciting moment of like, how the hell is she ever going to get beat again the rest of this year by Claire or anyone. And then she just hasn't been nested in her last two starts. Where what, do you feel like you guys know why do you hope you know why, where are your thoughts on nest? I agree with you a hundred percent JK. You know, we were always of the opinion that it was, a miracle what she was able to accomplish as a graded stakes winner at age two. She put together a campaign for the ages at age three, and we were going to see the absolute best of an older filly come age four. Things got a little knocked off kilter, more than a little knocked off kilter in the buildup to her four-year-old season. She got really sick when she left the farm at Stone Street and arrived at Todd Pletcher's barn at Palm Beach Downs in the springtime. She had had an incredible window of downtime and freshening between last year's Breeders' Cup distaff and going back to Todd in the spring. And she got really sick on us when she arrived at Todd's. So that knocked her back in a big way. And credit to Todd and his staff for nursing her back to health. And then having her ready to run the monstrous race she ran in the V, leaving Clarier in the dust. And it was nothing short of brilliant. I'm right there with you. And we were very pleased, if not outright excited about what the rest of the year might bring. Because whereas last season, she had gone Suncoast to Tampa, Ashland, Kentucky Oaks, Belmont Stakes, CCA Oaks. Alabama, Beldame, and by the time the distaff came around, arguably she was a little over the top. This year we were trying to view the setback as a blessing in disguise that maybe we're going to have a fresher version of Nest come November for the distaff. And she took care of business beautifully in the shoe V, 
I don't think she liked the track when it was a quagmire in the personal ensign. Full credit to Idiomatic. She got the job done that day. We ended up a gutsy third behind Secret Oath. And then coming into the spinster, we thought we had it right. And everything that could go wrong did go wrong. We warmed her up with purpose. If you watch the warm up, Irad had her sharp as can be, which is really what we wanted because we knew that Idiomatic wasn't going to get any praise pressure from anybody else. So our game plan was to take it to her and make her earn it. And I think Nest was wound up a little bit too much. No fault of Irad's. That was the game plan. And if anybody saw her in the gate while she was waiting for the rest of the field to load, she lunged at the gate and banged her face on the bars, which I think rattled her cage a little bit, dazed her. And when they sprung the latch, she was leaning backwards, didn't break, got shuffled back into a position we were really hoping to avoid. Idiomatic, again, full credit to her. She's just developed into a monster. But as easy as matters were on her, everything was difficult and messy for Nest. So even despite the trip, we would have liked to see her show more than she did because quite frankly, trying to look at this from an objective lens, she was not there for Irad when he, she, when he needed her. And it's a huge cause for concern at this stage of the game. So we got to just take a deep breath, evaluate her condition, her physicality, her mental state of mind in the next couple of weeks. Todd's going to consolidate all his Breeders' Cup runners at Keeneland. So she's already there. She doesn't have to travel quite yet. And as always, we're going to do what's best for our Philly first, protect our partners. And we've got an enormous asset. And at the end of the day, Nest has done everything she could possibly do for Eclipse, for Micropoli, for Mike House. For everybody associated with her, she owes us nothing. She's taken us on a magical ride. So our obligation to her, our responsibility to her is to take care of her best as we can. And it's not a foregone conclusion one way or the other, whether she shows up in the distaff or not. We're going to huddle up as a team. Todd's going to evaluate her. Team's going to evaluate her. Our vets are going to evaluate her. And at the end of the day, we'll do what we feel is best for Nest. Because, like I said, she's a champion and she deserves to be treated like the queen she is. Let's talk a little bit about Eclipse, right? Um, let, let's talk about the the, the partnership, kind of how it started. Your 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 kind of your run from Team Valor into into you know patriotic and proud, being your first winner for Eclipse. Like, what was the journey, and what is it about Eclipse that that um, that you like to to talk to prospective partners about? Man, I've been really fortunate to be on an incredible ride. Um, people tend to forget in a past lifetime, I actually practiced law for six and a half years before <laughs> delving into this wild industry as a professional full-time when I was really lucky to find my way into a, a prominent position with Team Valor International, uh, one of the most successful racing syndicates in the history of the sport and had a great run with Team Valor during my three and a half, four years there. Uh, Barry Irwin is, is a genius, and I was able to learn so much from him uh, during my time as the vice president of Team Valor. Uh, we bred and won a Breeders' Cup race 
during that window. We bred and won a Kentucky Derby in 2011 with Animal Kingdom. I think we won nine other grade ones during that span. It was just an incredible education and experience for me. And after Animal Kingdom won the Derby in 2011, uh, made the decision to uh, part ways with that entity and was fortunate to have some backing to be able to launch Eclipse. And you mentioned Patriotic and Proud. Actually, 12 years ago to the day that we're doing this interview, he represented our stable as our first ever runner. And thankfully, he set the tone for what's been a magical 12 years because he won that day. And it was really a sign of great things to come for the stable. We, we just celebrated our 24th and 25th grade one wins with our 21st individual horse. I think we've got something like 137 stakes wins, 65 or something like that, or, which are graded. Um, $47 million in earnings. So it's been incredible. We're starting to assert ourselves more on a global scale. Um, you know, we've won an American classic placed in several American classics, won two Breeders' Cup races, several grade ones. We've won an Australian classic with the Australian Oaks. We've won a Royal Ascot race in the Queen Mary our European influence is getting stronger by the year. So we're just really fortunate to have an incredible, loyal, longtime base of clients and customers and partners that have been with us from the get-go and longstanding supporters of our stable and our operation. And of course, there's no greater advertisement than the baby blue and black silks winning big races on Saturdays. And that allows us to bring in new blood, which is the lifeblood of our business. It's lifeblood of the industry as a whole. So our base of partners is ever growing. And we're just incredibly appreciative because without those individuals devoting their hard-earned money towards our program, putting their faith in Eclipse, there are no candies. There are no locks. There are no nests. So it's important that we deliver the results that our partners expect of Eclipse because we've set the bar very high for ourselves and it fuels our fire to just continue to deliver those high-end results year in and year out, which is what I really think separates the men from the boys. Lightning in a bottle can be caught once, twice, but to have the big horse or horses on an annual basis year in and year out that's really what allows you to make history. And that's what we're in this game for, for our partners. Are you, are you, is Eclipse more of like a, you know, hundred partners type of group or a thousand partners type of group? Which one do you feel like you're closer to? Well, always, I guess from the outside looking in, I've always just thought like without any, in, without any input, I've just always got the impression that you guys are, this is just my prediction closer to the, the larger commitment hundred person group than the smaller commitment thousand person group. Am I wrong about that? No, you're, you're spot on. You know, we, we try to keep ourselves as a boutique exclusive type racing partnership because we want our partners to have the ability to maximize their experience both on and off the racetrack. 
Now, every horse that we form a partnership for, by and large, there are some exceptions in which we package some individuals together. But by and large, every individual horse that we form a partnership for is its own individual entity. So we set up an LLC for each individual horse that we purchase and form a partnership for. So every horse is actually comprised of a different makeup of individual partners. So that partnership can be anywhere from four people to give or take eight towards a dozen at the most typically. Are there some that have a higher volume of partners? Yes. Are there some that are smaller? Yes. But we really try to operate in a streamlined, lean and mean fashion. We don't have an enormous staff. We don't do a lot of advertising. We try to let the horses do the talking for us and then deliver the high caliber racing experience that we want to provide to our partners by competing at the upper echelon of the sport. So we do our best to provide as much of a concierge experience for our partners as possible, uh, accommodate them with first class accommodations that they deserve. And really, aside from that element of the experience of their ownership involvement, you know, you asked me earlier, what makes Eclipse a little bit different. And I think that what might separate us a little bit from others in the space, and as you referred to, there are a lot of different partnership groups and there are some great outfits out there that do a wonderful job at what they do. And the space is growing like wildfire. You know, partnerships are the rule now, not the exception. We were really fortunate to get the endorsement of Cot Campbell of Dogwood Stable early in the company's infancy stages. And that was the ultimate endorsement for us because Cot was really the pioneer of racing partnerships. But I think what distinguishes Eclipse from most of our competition is that we consider ourselves horsemen first rather than salesmen. And Every equine-related decision from the scouting and acquisition of those equine athletes to the development and management of those horses, racing, ultimate liquidation events, if we're creating assets for our partners, that all takes place with me at the top and our team. It's all internal. We don't outsource any of our work to third-party agents that don't have a direct association with Eclipse the company, with Eclipse the stable, with Eclipse the brand. So there's no passing the buck. We have decades of hands-on horsemanship experience that we call upon in every phase of our operation. And I think that our partners appreciate that that the horse comes first. I think it allows for them to garner a more sophisticated racing and ownership experience because of that insight that we're able to provide to them through our frequent communication. And at the end of the day, I'd like to think that it translates into the success that we have 
on the racetrack as well. So maybe that's something that distinguishes us from our competition. And the other layer to that is that we maintain skin in the game right alongside our partners, which I think is a huge factor that people consider when it comes to where they feel comfortable devoting their hard-earned dollars in this incredibly risky endeavor. We retain equity in every single horse that we acquire. We are responsible for our pro rata share of expenses, and we participate right alongside our partners. So every horse we buy pretty much is on the come. We buy it in principle as a company, and we turn around to our partner base and form that partnership while retaining equity. So we put our money where our mouth is. Hopefully we deliver the goods and, you know, at the end of the day, we've got an incredible retention rate of partners that come back time and again to support the Eclipse program. And for that, we're extremely grateful. I know. And I know a lot of that uh, success is, is you have a lot of a few trainers, right? And obviously a lot of the success goes through a hall of famer like Todd Pletcher, but uh, you know, if I was going to have you on JK plus one, I was going to ask Whitey, Michael McCarthy for some, inside information oh, and, no. <laughs> and he says to me he's, he sent me a, a list of questions but one of them is ask him if tiger woods would have been the second best athlete being recruited at stanford during his high school athletic days oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm glad that that is that's probably the most g-rated question that that whitey could have presented you with but yeah, let, let me touch up. Let me touch upon Todd real quick, because because you you referred to him, and and I say this with relative frequency. And and before I get to to Whitey's question, I just want to say like we are so lucky to have access to the trainer who I believe is the absolute goat. And you want to call guys, you know, in their careers, athletes or trainers or coaches in their prime. Well, we've had a 12 plus year professional relationship with Todd and I'm proud to call him a close friend as well but to have access to a trainer like Todd in the absolute prime of his career and I don't think there's any slowing down him by any means but it's been such an integral part of our success and a lot of people watch and can appreciate what Todd does from afar but to be in the inner workings of his operation and see this master at work and have him develop our horses into countless grade one winners on the big stage. It's just like watching an artist create a masterpiece. And um, we're so lucky. And, and Todd represents our brand, our image so well. He's a family man. He's class through and through. So I just wanted to give a shout out to Todd because he's been so important to Eclipse's success. But as for the question, if Tiger Woods would have been the second best uh, athlete recruited by Stanford during my college days, um, I was a decent soccer player growing up and, and had a pretty long list of D1 schools that were seeking my services to play soccer at their universities. And back then, I don't even know what the rules are now, but there were five paid recruiting trips uh, to D1 schools that you were allowed to go on. Stanford happened to be one of mine. I completely botched my opportunity to go there. That's a story for another time when, uh, when I'm wallowing in my sorrow. But I went up to the recruiting trip 
And the way Stanford did it at the time was they had all of their athletic recruits from all sports come up on the same homecoming weekend. They played Cal and football. You got to go on the sidelines, so on and so forth. They put on this whole dog and pony show. It was a great deal. And then they do this orientation in their athletic facility where there was like this training gym. It was basically this huge hardwood basketball court with a bunch of different athletic uh, amenities that you could tap into. And about halfway through the, uh, the court, there was this huge you know, canvas curtain that, that separated, that divided the court in two. Well, they had John Elway do the introductory speech, and we're all in these bleachers in the stands, and everybody's hyped up, and everybody's in awe of this whole situation, and everybody's like, yeah, we're going to Stanford, great. You know, everybody's pumped. Well, John Elway does this whole spiel, and he concludes it by saying, and if you need any other reason to come to Stanford and play sports here as a scholar-athlete, you look no further than this curtain and they open the curtain up and it's tiger woods putting doing putting drills on the hard court floor which i don't know if you're much of a golfer jk but you're enough of an athlete and know sports well enough to know that putting is a very hard thing to do under the best of circumstances but putting on a hardwood basketball court floor is next to impossible and we were watching Tiger Woods, whose reputation had already preceded him, drain putt after putt after putt. And it was like game, set, match. Everybody was right there and then committed to Stanford. And uh, it, was, it was quite the experience, quite the memory. And uh, Whitey, who's a, who's a golf aficionado, gets a kick out of that story. And then he told me to ask you uh, how your baseball career ended when you were at mm. UC Santa Barbara. Oh my God. Yeah. He had to do this. Um, so I, as I said, I botched my opportunity to go to Stanford and I was kind of caught between a rock and a hard place because the cocky son of a gun I was at the time, I'd already told every other D one school that was after me. Thank you, but no, thank you. I'm going to Stanford. And I was left very late in my senior year of high school without many places to go. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to just ditch this D1 dream and I'm going to go to UC Davis. I'm going to go be an equine vet. I'm going to practice veterinary medicine on the racetrack. And it's the best veterinary school there is. I can play soccer and baseball at Davis, have a great time, less pressure and focus on my academics. So I went up there. I realized quickly pre-vet that I was going to have to do like eight years of math and science after that without even touching an animal. And that was no bueno for me. So I got the urge to go play D1 sports after my freshman year. And I transferred to UC Santa Barbara as a sophomore with a scholarship to play soccer, but no guarantee that I was going to be able to make the baseball team. So I played my sophomore year of soccer season, finished that. And the baseball coach said, Hey, why don't you come out and see if you could walk onto the baseball team? So I said, fine. I hadn't touched a bat, a glove, a ball in like six months. So the first day I show up at this practice, it was uh, inner squad scrimmage. Okay. There was like 30 guys out there 
And I rode the pine for the first couple of innings of this game. Coach says, Wellman, go in at second base, like into the third or fourth inning. I get a put out. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Now I'm second up in the inning. We're at bat. And I'm in the on-deck circle. And like I said, I haven't picked up a bat little and seen a live pitch in a minimum of six months. So I'm watching this lefty on the hill as the guy that leads off the inning is up to bat. And I'm like, damn, (laughs) this guy's got some stuff. I don't know if it's just my eye isn't trained to this or what's going on. It's been too long. I'm rusty, whatever. So I'm swinging the bat. I've got the donut on my bat. I'm trying to get some weight, get some bat speed. And I'm watching this guy and I'm like, this guy is serious. So I finally get up there and I'm like, okay, just see a pitch, Aaron. Like you got to just get your bearings here. Comes in with a fastball and it was mid nineties minimum. Blew it right past me corner outside corner strike one like uh uh-oh guy comes in second pitch I'm like well he saw me just stare at this fastball he's gonna come with something nasty boom completely fooled me another fastball I swing I was probably four seconds late on this pitch (laughs) it's 0-2 I'm like Aaron just take yourself out of this misery no matter what you're swinging at this pitch and you're going to try to make contact and save some face. Don't embarrass yourself. Well, here comes this pitch and I'm telling you, it starts four feet over my head. Now I am vertically challenged to begin with. So that's not saying much, but this thing came in from outer space and dropped off the face of the earth. And I took a hack and I I missed it by way more than the, than the fastball the time before. Three pitches, three strikes. I turn around, walk back into the dugout, take off my helmet, put my bat in my bag, and I say, Coach, I really appreciate the opportunity, but I think I'm just going to focus on soccer from here on out. (laughs) (laughs) And walk out the dugout, go back to my apartment, and call it a day. Well, little known to me, I soon came to learn that the lefty that was on the hill that embarrassed me was Barry Zito. (laughs) who ultimately turned out to be like, I don't know how many times an all-star, I think a multiple Cy Young award winner in the major leagues. So had I known that at the time that he was like an elite pitcher at the D one level, I might've stuck it out beyond that one at bat, but it's fun to tell the story that at least I got retired by a proverbial Cy Young award winner. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's not bad to get run off by, by someone like that. Yeah. It's Um, a good story to tell. That's funny. Uh, sweet cat. Talk about sweet cat. Yeah, man. That's where it all began. Um, as I said, after the triple crown in 2011, we hatched this idea to start this new racing partnership called eclipse. And of course I needed to, get in the game. You know, we need to buy some horses and get our colors out there on the, uh, on the racetrack. So, you know, I'm watching every race every day, trying to cover as much ground, scouring the globe for talent. And this two-year-old filly by Kitten's Joy pops up at Saratoga. She wins first time out going five and a half on the grass for Todd Pletcher. And it was a really unique thing because it says Todd Pletcher trainer, Todd Pletcher owner. That wasn't something I had seen often, if at all. 
So I texted Todd. We had had a good relationship from my days at Team Valor. And I said, hey, getting started. What's the story on this thing? And he says, well, my dad and I bought this filly as a yearling. None of our clients wanted her. We own her. I said, will you sell her? And he says, absolutely. Todd's a fantastic businessman. I call him the corporate cowboy because he could be like the CEO of any major Fortune 500 company. He's equally as good a businessman as he is a trainer, a horseman. So we cut a deal. Him and JJ, his dad, stay in for a leg, I think it is. And uh, man, she represented us in October of 2011 in the Jessamine, ran a giant second, earned her way into the Breeders' Cup. And she was like our second or third runner ever. And we went to the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies turf. She ran an unbelievable third that day um, behind Stephanie's kitten. And I think it was Stop Shopping Maria. Uh, Garrett Gomez rode her that day. It was a huge thrill. And Mike McCarthy was Todd's main assistant at the time in New York and then over to Churchill, which is where the Breeders' Cup was that year. So it it really reestablished a link between Michael and I uh, because we had grown up together on the racetracks of Southern California. But when he left to go back east to work for Todd, you know, we had sort of grown apart had some relationship during my team Valor days, started to rebuild it. But Sweet Cat was really the start of it all. And it's led to just an incredible ride because um, we call Sweet Cat the gift that keeps on giving because it led to um, an ultimate purchase by the Pletcher family and an interest in Danza, who ended up winning the grade $1 million Arkansas Derby and was third in the Kentucky Derby behind California Chrome. Michael McCarthy was integral in putting that deal together. He ultimately left Todd. We ended up being the first operation to put horses behind MWM Webbings. And, uh, you know, it's led to just an incredible sort of fraternity between Todd, Michael, and Eclipse that we're just really proud of and has led to some great success on the racetrack, but also just some great memories that we've forged as friends off the track as well. And our families. You, you talk a little bit about your, your kind of your, your youth in racing. And that was one of the things that, that, that Whitey kind of pointed out to get you to talk about. And then just even your bio, you know, you, you basically start, you came to the racetrack when you were eight is when you started and somewhere along that journey uh, you developed a, a pretty significant and serious lifelong bond with Bill Shoemaker Talk about your that 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 day when you were eight, how it started and, and how it ended with you being so close to Shoemaker. Yeah, you know, I was I was born in the industry. My parents were very small time breeders and owners in California and loved the sport. I mean, massive passion for it. And they had forged some relationships that were just incredible with some of the racing royalty here in Southern California, including uh, becoming great friends with Eddie Delahousse and Bill Shoemaker. And I was hustling trainers from the time I was eight years old. Come on, let me muck your stalls. Let me walk hots. Let me groom your pony, what have you. And it led to a great relationship with Jude Feld, who gave me my first shot, took me to track when I was eight years old, threw me in the backseat of his Cadillac and put a bunch of old racing forms over my head and snuck me in the back gate at Del Mar. So it led from a really ground up, horsemanship experience with my hands on these great animals, which I think is really what has paved the way for 
our success as horsemen at Eclipse. But in the meantime, Shu quickly recognized that I took this very seriously. For some reason, he was willing to take me under his wing. And at the age of eight, he began taking me a handful of times a year into the jocks room with him, which was like going backstage with, you know, Bob Dylan or some just great artist that had access and was at the top of their game, a true celebrity, a true legend. Um, and Shu was a mentor to me. I idolized him. I'm not sure. I don't want to like put words into his mouth, but kind of felt like I was the son he never had, you know, and we just had this incredible relationship where I don't know why I was so lucky to be in the right place at the right time, but I learned so much from him, not just from a horsemanship perspective, because look, shoe was four foot, nothing, 95 pounds. You don't, muscle a horse that weighs a thousand twelve hundred pounds with that stature right you connect with a horse you finesse a horse you identify with that horse to get the run that Shu needed to get out of him and just watching him day in and day out on the backside watching him on the back of a horse you saw the way he communicated with these animals and how to get the best out of them and it trickled down from the top with him and he just taught me so many lessons the 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 one thing i remember so much that i try to apply in my day-to-day -day business whether i'm at a sale or i'm trying to do a private deal or determine where to run a horse he's like you lose your head your ass goes with it and i always remember those words from shoe among others but uh yeah he he was just one of a kind and I'm in my home office right now. I'm staring at a, a photo of him. We, we shared a day apart birthday. I was August 18th. He was August 19th. So we always celebrated our birthdays together. I'm staring at a picture of him and I right now uh, in the Del Mar paddock. I was probably seven years old. And then I've got a handwritten letter from him on his letterhead um, for my bar mitzvah celebration. And then one of my most prized possessions is when Shu retired he gave me a set of his riding pants that on the back of them, it's embroidered shoe. So I've got all that stuff in my home office here, which I treasure. And uh, he was just one of a kind of legend. And there isn't a day go, goes by that I don't appreciate my association with him. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's pretty special to, to, to have, you know, the introduction into the game, uh, you know, and kind of be, be brought along by someone uh, of that stature, right? Like someone who, who, who is so well respected in the game. And, 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 I, you know, I would, I would think that just the opportunity to be able to just to, to reach out to him in the infancy of your, of your career, to be able to ask questions and get feedback. I, I'd, I'd imagine that was just, you know, an irreplaceable tool. Incredible. And, and when I look back on it, you know, we lost you way too soon. Um, there's no telling what sort of impact he could have had on the industry as a trainer because he was on his way to a Hall of Fame training career as well. Um, 
and I was really young when he passed, but <laughs> I had some really just incredible experiences with him in the jocks room. Look, I was, I was there the day he rode Ferdinand in the Malibu, you know, like it was just incredible stuff. And to see how he handled the pressure of it all was just remarkable. And then I was really lucky because when he took out his trainer's license, I was able to work in his shed row and it was like walking down the Louvre, you know, at every stall, it was another masterpiece because the who's who of the racing community supported Shu when he took out his trainer's license. So I was exposed to some incredible horses, but I'll, I'll tell you one story that was kind of personified Shu because I think what was the most important trait that he possessed was he was just patient in every respect. We saw it as a jockey. It was trickling over into his training career in life. He was just a patient guy. So we had this two-year-old that was running it and you talk about just being able to, you know, absorb and sponge all this stuff off of shoe. So we'd finished training for the morning and I was lucky she would allow me to hang out in his office after training hours when it was calmer and, you know, you just kind of got to be and decompress a little bit. Well, we were running this two-year-old that afternoon and Corey Black was riding this horse. And anybody listening that doesn't know who Corey Black is, he was, I think, champion apprentice jockey. I'm not 100% sure about that, but he rode a lot of good horses in his career. He had an older brother, Kenny Black, who was a great talent as well as a jockey. Um, but Corey was a really smart guy, but he was very verbose. He was one of the most talkative individuals you'll ever know in your life. So Corey was riding this two-year-old and he stopped by the barn after training to talk to Shu about this race. And so he walks in and he says, boss, I want to talk to you about this two-year-old. He says, okay. Corey goes on and he goes, I know, ex I know exactly what you want me to do, Shu. I want you, I want you to you want me to warm him up with the pony, get a good warm up in, let him break, but take hold, leaving the gate, get some dirt in his face, let it out a little bit about the half mile pole, let him get some confidence, start to make my move around the far turn, and then really pick him up down the lane and gallop out. And Corey, I, I probably abbreviated that explanation by about 50%. And she was just sitting there staring at Corey after this diatribe of what he wants him to do or what he thinks he wants him to do. And Shu just very casually, perfect timing, turns to Corey and he says, how about you just let him get some dirt in his face? And, that, <laughs> and that's just Shu personified. And, you know, it's like those little lessons with such a few amount of words that have stuck with me my entire life. Yeah, that's outstanding. It's, it's, it's. You know, it's just funny because, you know, it's. It, I think that the that this game, people try to make it significantly more complex because there's so many different variables. There's so many different things that could happen. But, you know, you start riding races or, or training horses or constructing pick six tickets or whatever it is and you are buying horses at the sale and you start trying to incorporate every single possible variable it's almost like uh, paralysis with by analysis. You know what I mean? It's like, no, how about just get some dirt in his face and that's all I needed you to do. Exactly. Exactly. 
Um, you know, Aaron, it's funny, like looking back at, at some of the horses that you guys have had, like the idea that, you know, it, to me, it's always like these, these, these syndicates and these, these groups and partnerships. It's a lot about like just kind of the racing experience and like, you know, getting people and allowing people to kind of own a piece of a professional team vibes and, and, and getting out to the races, but you guys have actually put a handful of horses in stallion barns, which it doesn't always go hand in hand with what you would expect from, from a lot of partnerships, you know, a Taprit, obviously, uh, Aloha West, who, uh, who was, a was a, a very impressive winner of the Breeders' Cup. I would imagine that goes a long way for, for you and for, for the team and, and being able to kind of see some of the horses you campaigned continue on as, as stallions. Very much so, JK. When somebody contacts us, I make no bones about it. You cannot look at this as a traditional financial investment that you're looking for an ROI or ROI or to profit from, right? You have to go in with the psychological perspective that this is purely entertainment value, right? You're taking a budget to Vegas for the weekend and you expect to lose every penny, but you're going to have a damn good time doing it. And if you happen to get lucky and win and come home breaking even or making a few bucks or making a score, Great, but that's not your expectation going in because owning racehorses is the single riskiest financial venture you could ever get yourself into. So I want our people to have the right mindset. I want them to go in with a realistic expectation of what the output is going to be. The cardinal rule is one out of every 10 racehorses that you buy will be a success. And success isn't just defined financially speaking right? It can be experiential as well. We like to pride on ourselves that we deliver at a much higher rate than that one out of 10 times, but I'm still going to be wrong way more than I'm going to be right when it comes to selecting purchasing horses. Okay. So usually people that have the wherewithal to be able to invest in racehorses have been very successful in their day jobs, in their real lives. They're not used to this ratio of watching their horses run 10 times. And if you're competing and producing at a Hall of Fame level, that means you're winning two out of 10 times, right? You're at 20% wins. But what that also means is that you're walking out of the racetrack having watched your horses run, most likely eight out of 10 times having lost. It takes a, a certain personality to be able to tolerate that level of failure, right? So you have to adjust your perspective and your mindset going into it. So I wanna make that very clear that we are realistic about the manner in which we want our people to go into an Eclipse partnership. But after that, we take it very seriously. Yes, do we have to lay the foundation that this is an entertainment value disposable income venture, 100%. But once you're in, we treat every penny of yours as if it's our own. As I said, we participate in the partnerships alongside of our group, but we try to create assets for our partners along the way so that every time a new Eclipse partnership opportunity comes up, they're not digging into their pockets to write a fresh check. Hopefully, and a large part of our strategy has been rooted in Phillies, right? We believe that a good 
equine portfolio that's able to stand the test of time and really sustain itself for the long term, you have to be predominantly based in Phillies. And we have this moniker that we think we've earned, hashtag Eclipse Phillies. Over the years, really our bread and butters have been the Carolinas of the world, the Illuminants of the world, the Feathers of the world, the Paves of the world. You know, these incredible Phillies, Nest, of course, um, Valiance, the list goes on and on and on. Sharing, you know, I could, Queen Goddess, I could reel off tons of Phillies that these ultimately evolve into seven-figure assets that we liquidate upon the dissolution of their partnerships. And that allows guys to play with some house money. Now, to your point, when we do take swings on Colts that could potentially evolve into stallion prospects, that's fulfilling the pipe dream, right? That is the pie in the sky, knock it out of the park, grand slam that we hope to provide our partners with. Tappert, of course, stands at Gainesway, Aloha West at Mill Ridge, Independence Hall is at Windstar Farm. There's been a few others. Danza was at Spendthrift, Capabas Stone at Adina Springs, War Correspondence at Calumet. Um, we've got some regional stallions as well, Destin, Gretzky the Great, those kind of horses. Yeah, those go a long way. And what's really cool now, as we're starting to get into this, into a decade plus of existence and operation, is we're not just starting to see our stallions have babies out there on the track that give our partners a huge thrill knowing the association, but we're also starting to see these great Eclipse fillies produce runners out on the racetrack too. We've got, I think, three grade one winning progeny of fillies that came through the Eclipse program. The highlight, of course, being Feathered, who's the dam of flight line. So it's really cool to see this evolutionary process of horses that have come through our program and represented the baby blue and black. And it's a thrill for our partners to, to watch it play out. Did, <laughs> did you, did you watch, did you watch flight line? Like he was yours? Um, no, I can't say that. I got to be completely <laughs> honest. I'm an open book. No. And, and you know, he was, a horse that was offered as a yearling. And, and of course we, we took a good hard look at him and JK, I was flat out wrong about him. You know, one of the best horses of our generation that we had such an incredible ability to acquire and never even vetted him, let alone raised our hands. So could not have been more wrong about him as a baby and what he turned into. Um, but definitely a, a huge source of pride knowing that feathered was a really good Philly for our program. And look, it's only an advertisement for the quality that comes out of our program because the commercial market, the major players looking for top caliber broodmare prospects, can turn to us and know that we have a reputation for not just campaigning and racing great Phillies, but these Phillies can carry their brilliance on through their progeny. So I thought John Sadler and everybody connected with flight dine did that horse an incredible justice and service, the man, the manner in which he was managed and campaigned and treated. So kudos to them every step of the way and, and a great sense of pride for us. Sneaky race that you 
you know, you're having a bad day, you pull up YouTube and you watch, uh, and then also in whichever order you want, the one that just really got away. Oh, man. Whew. I always say we learn from our failures way more than we do from our successes. So it's uh, it's one of those things where, where the defeats definitely stick with you more <laughs> than the uh, than the victories. Um, but, you know, I, I think some of our craftiest plays. Carolina winning the acorn really sticks out to me as as one of our first really marquee victories. She won a grade one on the day that American Pharaoh won the triple crown at Belmont. Um, you know, she hadn't even run into stakes and for her to win the acorn, such a prestigious race. I thought we were pretty sneaky that day. Danza winning the Arkansas Derby at 46 to one or whatever he was off a bad allowance third at Gulfstream in one race as a three-year-old. I thought that was pretty sneaky. You know, I'll, I'll throw those races on as uh, as little pick-me-ups from time to time. Uh, as far as those that got away, you know, I saw an interview a long time ago with Jerry Hollendorfer, who's Hall of Fame trainer, of course. And somebody asked him, who was the best horse that you ever trained? Or who were the best horses that you ever trained? And he said, the best horses I ever trained, you never heard of because they never made it to the races. And we had a similar type experience with a horse that actually made it to one race and I thought was probably the most naturally gifted animal we had ever been associated with by the name of Montauk. A medaglia oracle that broke his mane in, in October of his two-year-old year at Belmont on champagne day. And I think he went off the screen by like 12 gear down with Johnny for Todd. And we thought that he was the next coming. And he unfortunately suffered a career ending injury shortly thereafter. And we never got to see the best of him, but he's kind of the one in the back of my mind that I always say to myself, what if this horse had managed to stay healthy because he had that sort of flight line aura about him i would never compare him to flightline because flightline did it and nobody's ever really heard of montauk but he was a tdn rising star in his debut and we thought the sky was the limit and i just kind of lie awake at night thinking i wonder if i'll ever get my hands on a talent like him again wouldn't you, you guys got him at a two-year-old sale we did yeah we bought him at obs uh as a two-year-old and uh put together a group I, it was uh bridalwood bob lapenta and Eclipse, who was the Taprit partnership from the year prior, or that year actually, and also um, Twin Creeks Racing of Steve Davison and Randy Gulat. So it was, it was a great group, and we all thought we were really on to something, and, and of course it, it just didn't pan out. But that's, that's the rule, not the exception. You know, These horses are going to break your heart more than they're going to um, provide you with, with glory. So you, you got to take the – the good with the bad and, and try to stay even keel through it all. Well, look, as we, as we wrap up here, I just wanted to give you a chance. I mean, why did try to throw you under the bus with, uh, with, uh, with, uh, the, the strikeout, uh, story and, and, and the, and the second best athlete at Stanford and all of those things. So if you got something and you want to, you want to get Whitey back here, I have no problem allowing that to happen on these airwaves, but uh, like I said, you don't have to do it, but if you, if you got a fun one, you want to try to, throw him under the bus. It's, it's always welcome here. 
Oh, man, there's so many. I don't know that I could choose just one. But if you have him on again, give me some time to prepare for that, and I will definitely come up with, with a zinger. I, you know what's funny? Was he the first, I think he's the first one I ever did. I'm pretty sure he was the first one. I think you helped. I think you helped. He he uh he was the first one. He had a lot. There was a lot of good ones. The 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 horse in the office one. I, I don't remember who the horse was. The horse <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, King Uther. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the guy <laughs> in the off. Yeah. That was that good. was a, that was a team valor horse. A horse that managed to somehow get himself from the indoor uh, toe ring at Churchill into the minuscule office there and, and back himself up into the, into the vicinity there. That was, that was classic, but yeah, you know, you can, you can ask Whitey about his, his affinity for, uh, Oreos, you know, late night Oreos, um, a few too many Chopin martinis at our house in Del Mar during the meet or during Thanksgiving, maybe a plate of food that found its way into the pool a time or two, um, stumbling his way out, out of the kitchen into the backyard, you know, those sort of things. Uh, but yeah, all in good fun, man. That That's the greatest part about, you know, the network that we've created is, you know, we take this very seriously you know we we all take our jobs very seriously and, and i think we're all on a mission to make history but at the end of the day we also really can have a good laugh and, and know that look you know what we do is important and we try to provide the people that put their faith in us um, with incredible lifelong experiences but we're not curing cancer here you know we're not putting men on the moon we're not fighting wars you know we're racing thoroughbred racehorses and you got to have some fun along the way and surround yourself with people you enjoy people you can laugh with and people you love and uh we're really lucky to to have all that wrapped up into one aaron i appreciate you taking the time and we wish you the the best of luck on the first friday and saturday in november in the breeders cup appreciate it jk always a pleasure thanks for doing what you do and uh good luck at the windows my man take care Appreciate the time, Aaron. That was a lot of fun. Um, Whitey, he's what a character this guy, Michael McCarthy, is. If you haven't listened to that episode, it makes me re- makes me uh, remember a little bit. You should go back and hear that first episode. There's a lot of good old ones, by the way. If you haven't listened to some of the good old ones, some of my favorite ones, Michael McCarthy, Duke Matisse. Um, um, there's a bunch of them. I don't want to leave any out. Those are the first two. So those are obviously uh, good ones to, to, to attack. Uh, Dale Romans is hilarious. Uh, Mike Rapoli, who, who's been in the news lately. Um, the list goes on. There's, there's what I think this will be the 56th episode we've done, which is, is which is cool. So uh, check those out. Want to thank Aaron again. Uh, good luck to him and the team at Eclipse. Want to thank our friends at Qatar Racing. Let's get Garrett. Let's get Caravel going this weekend. Uh, get her going into the Breeders' Cup in in fine order and uh, get uh, get the maroon and gold another Breeders' Cup trophy. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. You know, we always talk about it, but I want to be clear. It, it really does help us out a lot. Open up that little purple podcast thing in your app on your iPhone. Just go ahead and grab it real quick. Um, sometimes you just, just go swipe down, go to podcast and then search JK plus one and then follow JK plus one. You can also follow in the money media and you can follow all the other shows that we have on the network uh, owner's box and um Redboard Rewind and, and and Maggie Show, Acacia Show. There's there's a bunch of them. Just hit follow on all of those. You'll get notified when we have a new episode post. Um, share it if you like it. 
post it, retweet it, all those good things. Once again, we appreciate you. We appreciate the support. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Aaron. Thanks to Qatar. We'll see you next week. I need to know everything. Who in the what and the where I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me. I'm curious, George. I hop in the Porsche, five and a horse. I'm ready for war. I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost. I need to know everything. Now you'd be surprised at the info you get is by letting them talk, so I'm letting them talk.